Coming up, it's been a long time since we talked the Marvel run of the Transformers comics, but we'll jump back to the U.S. continuity. We'll find out the fate of Optimus Prime and Megatron. Plus, we'll meet a new villain in The Mechanic, and the Decepticons will receive one big reinforcement from Cybertron right now on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Transformers University. This is episode 81. I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info, the website. This podcast, TFU News and Views, the social media, the YouTube channel, and so, so much more. And I hope you're all staying home, staying safe, washing your hands, and keeping away from the COVID-19 coronavirus outbreak. Uh, I am back up north with my family in uh, New York and have been here for about a month and will probably be here for at least another month. Uh, If you've been following me on TFU News and Views or you're part of our Patreon over at patreon.com slash TFU info, you know uh, there's been a lot of movement in my life lately and You'll also know there's been a lot of uh, other work going on other than the podcast. Uh, the website has been updated into the new look for 2002, and I am starting on 2003, and that's probably a conversation for another day, but just to give you an idea of how many entries and how much the line blew up in 2003 before we uh, continue on our journey through 1986, uh, I have a folder for every entry in uh tfu.info on the site. Uh, if you if you look at the URLs, you can kind of figure out how it's laid out. So um, in 2003, in all the individual toy folders, there are 378 entries for that year. And I can tell you that year is certainly not complete. So when you want to think about when the Transformer toy line really, really exploded in a combination of popularity with kids and nostalgia for adults. Uh, It is the beginning of the Unicron Trilogy in 2002-2003, but that's a conversation for another day. Today, we are talking Marvel Transformers numbers 24 through 27, uh, the U.S. story. And there's a lot of interesting stuff here because this stuff came out at the end of 1986. So probably about, I think... uh, uh, this takes us through uh, September, October, November, and December. Uh, so we're talking a month after Transformers the movie hit theaters, or not even a month, uh, within a month of you of the movie hitting theaters. So we have a couple of important storylines here, starting with Transformers number 24. Now this issue was uh, written by uh, Bob Budiansky, pencils by Don Perlin, inks by Akins and Garvey, letters by Janice Chang, Colors by Nell Yamtov, edits by Don Daly, and a cover by Herb Trimpey. Now, one of the more interesting things to note about this batch of stories is how much further on they took place in the UK run of the comic. So we left off with Marvel UK number 88, and that almost wraps up 1986 for the comics series in the UK. There, uh, We have one more episode planned for that, and that only covers one issue and an annual. Um, and that issue is issue 93. 
these stories start in issue 105 for uh, Marvel UK run. So there is a whole uh, batch of things that happen. Uh, some of the stuff we've covered already for the US series, some of the stuff we haven't covered yet, uh, which affects the storylines here. And uh, I will make note of that the things that are different, but I will try not to get too into detail with uh, spoilers because I want you to be able to experience those stories uh, when we get to them covering 1987, which will probably be sometime later this year. Now, of course, the UK versions had uh, different covers. You know, one is always uh, kind of a version of the cover that the US got, and that would be issue 106. And for this story, issue 105 had a cover by Lee Sullivan, uh, with the words deadlock in exclamation point on the cover and you basically have optimus and defensor on one side and bruticus and megatron on the other all about to face off the herb trimpy cover for this one uh features optimus and megatron on a screen with a kid with a mullet playing uh joysticks on a video game and that kind of gives us a hint as to what's inside this story and it reads game over optimus prime now, the title of this issue is actually After Death, and at the start of this issue, we meet Ethan Zachary, who works in a science lab and uses the giant screen and supercomputer there to play video games. This lab also has a piece of technology called the Hydrothermocline, and that will be important uh, throughout this story. Uh, Ethan, while playing his video games, gets interrupted by his co-worker, Margaret. Not sure if she goes by Peggy, but she does go by Margaret. Uh, she has actual work to do, so Ethan uh, takes a break and then resumes his game when he is done. He notes that he has his uh, character saved on a disc, and he also mentions he has, and I'm going to quote this, what we gamesters call a backdoor. You know, the word gamesters never really stuck, huh? We need to bring that one back, especially for uh, the folks in the online gaming community. Uh, gamesters seems like a fun word to play around with. Anyway, it's just a password uh, that cheats him back to where he left off. The password is After Death, like the title of this story, and lets him reinsert himself anywhere in the game. On the roof of this facility, Vortex, in his helicopter mode, is spying. How no one hears this is beyond me. Helicopters are loud. The game is called Multiworld, and... Uh, it is made by a company called Flippy Floppy Industries. Back at the Ark, Wheeljack removes a Cerebro shell uh, found in Optimus, and that goes back to a previous story we talked about, uh, and then reverse engineers it to use it to spy on the Decepticon. So he takes what is a microphone and turns it into a listening device, and we find out the Decepticon's plan to steal the hydrothermocline. That night, Megatron and the Compaticons arrive at the energy installation and Optimus and the Protectobots are there too. There's really no explanation for uh, either the Compaticons or the Protectobots and how they got there, uh, at least in the U.S. continuity, but we do have a standoff. Uh, in the middle of this standoff fight, uh, Bruticus catches Ethan Zachary fleeing. EZ has an offer for both sides to avoid unnecessary destruction. I want to play a game. See, Megatron doesn't want the hydrothermocline destroyed. Optimus doesn't want life destroyed. So why not settle this by playing a video game that probably sounded more like this? Shall we play a game? So Ethan Zachary hooks everyone up to the game. 
the winner will get the hydrothermocline. Megatron decides he wants to up the stakes. The loser, Optimus or Megatron, gets blown up in real life. Sure, why not? I guess Ethan Zachary had some explosives laying around because he hooks two joysticks up to uh, each robot uh, and they are triggered to blow them up. They're basically Atari joysticks with a little button on top. And Ethan Zachary reminds them they have potential allies in-game. You know, in a fun moment here, when he says that, Megatron, like, demands to know who these people are. Tell me, human. Uh, but they do not let him know who the allies are in the game. Everyone goes into the game. The Protectobots decide to guard Optimus Prime. And Megatron sends his Combaticons to hunt the Autobots. Now, the Protectobots defeat the Combaticons through a series of battles in the game, wherein... Uh, the Protectobots respect the quote-unquote local people and environment, and uh, they turn into game-changing allies. Eventually, Megatron will roll up on Optimus Prime, but the Protectobots form Defensor. In real life, Megatron berates his Combaticons, and Vortex tells him about the back door, Afterlife. Defensor sacrifices himself to defeat Megatron, and they uh, fall down a bottomless pit, if you will. And Megatron then uses his cheat code and returns into the game directly behind Optimus Prime and shoots him in the back. Damn, it feels good to be a gamester. Prime holds on to a ledge, nearly falling down this bottomless pit to his death, but pulls a tower down on Megatron. That tower contains some of this local life inside, and the locals die along with Megatron. In real life, Optimus feels like he violated his own ethics and demands that Ethan Zachary blow him up. And he does so, and from there we get this gorgeous splash page of Optimus Prime being blown to itty-bitty bits uh, with the phrase, Game Over. Game over, man! It's game over! And so, the Decepticons get the Hydrothermocline, the Autobots leave with Optimus's corpse, and Ethan we find out, has backed up Optimus's entire brain on a five and a quarter inch floppy disk. And just for uh, you computer geeks out there, did a little research, uh, it's a touch before my time playing with computers. I mean, I remember five and a quarter floppy disk, but I didn't know much about computers then. Uh, those hold a whopping 360 kilobytes. So Optimus's brain uh, apparently was 360 kilobytes or less. That said, this is a really important and poignant issue of this comic series. And for more on his personal memories of this issue, I'm going to toss it over to Delvin Williams of the Longbox Crusade and Transformers Chronicles. Hey everybody, I am Delvin Williams, a.k.a. The Dark Web. You would find me on the Longbox Crusade Network and more particular to this podcast, you might be interested in what I do over on Transformers Chronicles, The Marvel Years, where I, Pat Sampson, aka DJ Cristados, and Jonathan Schaefer-Hames from Married with Comics podcast and The Rod Pod all discuss the Marvel Years of Transformers Comics. I was asked to discuss issue 24 of Transformers, uh, Game Over Optimus Prime, I remember that as the first book that I ever picked up, uh, comic book, anything, and 
clearly it had an impact on me. I collected Transformers for the rest of its run, and I started a long and continuous love affair with comic books as a result of it. But as for the book itself, I could talk a while about it, and I was given one to five minutes, so I won't take too much of that time. Let's talk about how Bob Budiansky first takes something that was relevant at the time, relevant now, video games, and finds a way to work the Transformers universe seamlessly into that world. He found he found a way to do that a lot in the run that I've read so far. I, we're up to issue 14 as of this recording for Transformers Chronicles. So for me, I've read 1 through 14 recently and then jumped to 24 for this recording. And Bob has a good does a good job of taking the improbable and making it plausible for giant alien robots to find a way to assimilate themselves into the human world. And it's always interesting and fascinating how he finds a plausible way to do that. The book itself, I could talk a lot about it, but ultimately I'm going to talk about the most important Transformer in my eyes, and that's Optimus Prime. He has to be one of the hardest characters in the world to write because in a way he's an archetype. He is Captain America. He is Superman. And you have to figure out how what you're going to do with him. Sometimes you can make him into just that insufferable do-gooder. Sometimes you can make him into that. He is the type that's always going to do right no matter what, or he's going to try to do right. And he, Optimus Prime was all of that in this issue. He is the type of person or type of robot who will do right no matter what. He wants to protect life at all costs. And with the person of or the being of immense power that Optimus Prime is, that's an admirable trait. Even to the effect of going into a video game realm and wanting to protect life in that realm, which is something that has huge ramifications even to today, 2020. If you read some of the Iron Man and how the robotic beings want to be treated as their own individuals and not just tools of the human universe. So interesting how Bob did that. And then at the end, I would say that Optimus Prime took it a little bit too far. He did what he had to do to win in the video game, but he wanted those consequences of costing those lives in this uh, video game simulation to cost him in the real world. And that is something I don't know if any being human or otherwise ever would have done, but it speaks to the character that Optimus Prime was that he would do it. Personally, I think he's kind of a sucker for detonating himself when he won the game and Megatron cheated first, but it shows the ultimate being that Optimus Prime is. So more and more kind of fall in love with the guy for having the courage to detonate himself over his own beliefs. This was an excellent read. I'm glad that I picked it up and looked at it again because I'm able to see it through my adult eyes as opposed to when I first read the book when I was about eight or nine years old. It was a fascinating read, and I thank you guys so much for giving me the opportunity to revisit this book and to share it with your podcast universe. Thank you very much. And Delvin makes some great points there. You can catch him on the Longbox Crusade, and on their Transformers podcast, where they cover this particular series of the Marvel books, Transformers Chronicles, where they cover this particular series of Transformers comics and uh, do a great job. You can find that basically anywhere 
you listen to this show. Now, one of the things he pointed out was that this was one of his first comics. And I got to say, this issue and the next issue we're about to talk about were also some of my very first comics. I can remember getting them at uh, (laughs) Tri-County Indoor Flea Market in I guess it's Levittown, New York, in Long Island. That's still there. Uh, it's called Unique now, but it's uh, basically it's the indoor mall, what they would call in uh, Mall Rats uh, as the Dirt Mall. Um, but there was this neat bookstore slash comic book shop uh, that I remember being in the corner of that place uh, on the first floor, and that's where I started getting into Transformers comics. It's where I got the the digest versions. Um, which were like these little tiny versions that had two comics in them, uh, but they were about the size of a copy of Reader's Digest. Um, And I I remember getting uh, issues 24 and 25 there for sure. And we're going to move on to issue 25. Gone But Not Forgotten is the title, uh, written by Bob Budiansky, pencils by Don Perlin, inks by Aiken and Garvey, edits by Nell Yamtov, letters by Janice Chang, and edits by Don Daly. Now the cover here is by Herb Trimpey and features Megatron in a showdown with the Combaticons. Now, the interesting thing about this art, something I discovered recently about this cover, the original art for it is out there, and it is slightly different than what was printed. It appears that if if you Google search for this cover, because it's around, it appears that parts of the Predacons were... Uh, cropped inward and, and redrawn. Uh, it's really neat to see how it's not incredibly different than the original, than what was printed on the cover. But uh, there are certainly bits of detail that you do not see on the final version that are in the original art. So I, I highly recommend Googling it. And I know what I will tweet out. I think I've tweeted, retweeted it from someone before, but uh, it's it's really neat to see them. Maybe I'll Photoshop them side by side so that we can see both the original cover uh, as printed and the original art as not printed. Now, this issue took place in the UK over issues 107 and 108. 107 features artwork by David Hine and Robin Bautel. Uh, we've talked about David Heim here before, Robin Bautel, uh, colorist at Marvel UK, and now works as a sculptor, uh, features Megatron on a rampage with the phrase rampage, but not the Predacon rampage, and uh, does feature a pretty beat-up version of the Combaticon brawl. And that's something that happens in this issue, but I am not going to tell you about it. For more on this issue... Got to toss it over to Gaby Gaby. Stick his head in gravy. Wash it out with bubblegum. And send it to the Navy. Gabriel Owens, the Salty Seaman. Hey folks, Salty Seaman here, Gabriel Owens, reviewing issue 25 of the original Transformers G1 Marvel run. Uh, specifically requested this issue as one I had as a kid. Interestingly, I I do not have the one in between, so uh, it was very interesting. I never I as a kid did not own the issue where Prime dies in the video game, so like I found that out in the flashback. So uh, this whole issue, uh, you know, with Megatron kind of going uh, 
going through going through some stuff, man. He's going through some things. Uh, yeah, PTSD. Uh, a lot of interesting things about this issue. You know, probably didn't even pick up as a kid. Like I never could figure out why he went so crazy. And uh, there there is like a somewhat explana- explanation many many issues later, but. For as it stands, this issue was was very weird, and it was uh, it was mostly like like Budansky just was like could never always seem to be could not wait to get rid of Optimus Prime and Megatron, like it, it, he just I, I don't know why, but you know Prime Prime really has a really short run in the early part of the comics. He's he's in the original miniseries, then he's basically a head, so he's kind of not he, he's part of the story, but he's really not. He's not mobile, and then he's like. For like half a year, he's back to being the leader, and then he kills himself. Or at least a little, a little longer than a year. But anyway, and say with Megatron, he was gone. Shockwave, you know, it was very obvious. I thought he liked he liked Shockwave a lot better than Megatron. Uh, always how I felt about the comics. Uh, and I don't know how I felt about that as a kid. Like I, I really liked the Shockwave character in the comic, just just how uh, badass and intimidating he was. But I always thought, you know. Why are they giving Megatron such a short shrift? But I guess maybe, you know, he had the, he also had the cartoons. So, Hey, you know, not like he wasn't getting enough exposure. So, uh, yeah, th- this is a real deep, dark dive of the cover alone. Uh, you know, just looking at this, you know, Megatron's all tore up and he's fighting the, uh, the Predacons. That's what you, and it, so, so very weird when you first get the comic, like, okay, why is Megatron fighting the, Fighting the, the Predacons, you know, they're all Decepticons. Of course, assuming you knew who they were ahead of time, which I did as a kid, but was unaware of the, uh, you know, the, the issue before. And like, just, you know, hey, think of an issue in this, right? So anyways, uh, yeah, let's get to it. Uh, issue 25. Should be noted, the cover says uh, Megatron's Last Stand. The actual title is gone, but not forgotten. So we start off the issue with the army or the U.S. government has had enough of uh, the Decepticons uh, brazenly just living down in this coal mining pit. So they decided to screw environmental concerns about attacking and, you know, what, you know, all the coal, coal displacement would do. We're going in after them. And we cut to uh, Shockwave talking to Cybertron. They're going to set up this energy doohickey down in the Caribbean. I makes uh, passing mention about uh, Cobra, like we tell Cobra what we're doing. We're moving our operations because at this point they, uh, you know, the, there's the ongoing uh, GI Joe Transformers miniseries, which I'm sure will be covered uh, future episodes. So that that's kind of a little nod to the ongoing uh, miniseries, and then we cut to uh, Megatron uh, on his throne. Just as the uh, the army is attacking, and Shockwave, Shockwave and Soundwave rush over to uh, notice, Megatron doesn't seem to really give a crap. So we end up with a uh, melancholy Megatron, who uh, doesn't seem to, despite what should be glorious, uh, you know, death of his greatest enemy. Instead, he's like showing signs where he's not really. Very, very convinced he's dead, despite seeing him blow up just like everyone else did in front of him in the last issue, which we get like a page uh, flashback on, which I guess is needed. I mean, it's like, babe, big deal here. Optimus Prime died, but maybe he's not because we see the uh, they give us the uh, the foreshadowing of you know, Optimus Prime being put on the floppy disk, which I'm sure was covered in the last issue. 
uh, very well. So I won't tread on too much here. But bottom line, Brawl thought uh, Megatron's kind of being silly about this. He's like, hey, man, he's dead. So uh, Megatron proceeds to uh, choke Brawl until his face explodes and then throw his body across the room. Uh, you got to love Megatron. So we continue to see Megatron go absolutely insane, which Shockwave notes that he has gone mad. Uh, and so he decides to try to, instead of trying to directly challenge him for leadership right now, where he maybe he might be a little too dangerous in one-on-one -on -one combat, he starts hatching a plan and starts feeding into Megatron's paranoia. So maybe his death was fake since he were doing it in a simulated game anyway. Uh, and now Megatron is, is excited to leave the base. And they, he begins destroying it as the army closes in. And Soundwave and Shockwave take over, uh, making sure everything's actually done, because Megatron is a raving loon at this point. We also get a, uh, a random uh, roll call of uh, Scramble City bots. Uh, just very, very odd. It's a mixture of Stunicons and Combaticons. We get a uh, well, good thing they, they, they give us a li they list off everybody. Motormaster, Swindle, Vortex, Blastoff, Dragstrip, uh, Dead End. You know, it's the old style roll call, uh, but not quite everyone on both teams. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're moving away from the base. But first we get uh, we see what Shockwave's up to. Uh, he's contact Cybertron and uh, he wants to bring a uh, basically a special team onto uh, onto Earth. So Shockwave has called back to Cybertron called the Pereticons, and we revealed their uh, specialty is hunting, hunting down prey. He tells them uh, so the, the most dangerous uh, prey of all, uh, that being Megatron. He says, sure, I co I, okay, I understand. And uh, then thus we set up the, uh, the rest of the issue. Uh, pretty uh, funny scene of uh, they, they take off on like a, just a generic weird red rocket, which kind of looks a bit like a Omega Supreme's arm or rocket mode, but it's not. It's like halfway and he's just straddling it like a like a horse shockwave and sound, he's carrying Soundwave as a cassette, which you can barely make out in the uh, coloring. But uh, we've seen him transform the panel before. It's just I don't know. It's just kind of awkward and f it's just kind of an awkward and funny scene, at least in my opinion. Cut back to uh, Megatron traveling with uh, the various uh, Decepticons he's with. His paranoia has only grown over the last couple days, which I guess they don't travel magically like they do in the cartoon, as they're taking like a reasonable driving time to get from uh, you know the coal mines down to uh, South Florida, I guess. But uh, yeah, he spots a, a red uh, Arcliner truck, much like Optimus Prime, and. Uh, Destroys it. Uh, we, we see, of course, the, uh, the the human driver gets out just in time. And uh, the majority of the Decepticons just kind of go and just like, I, don't know, I guess you can kind of imply that Megatron's been kind of crazy this entire trip. And there's like, yeah, he can catch up with us. So they leave Megatron alone with Dead End. And Me Dead End tries to say, well, Megatron, he's already dead. So clearly showing Megatron is completely out of his electronic mind. So the Predacons come down from the space bridge to Earth. They meet up with Shockwave, who uh, tells them the plan. 
uh, basically involves like Megatron doesn't know them personally. So they're going to switch out their, uh, their sigil signs for Autobots and they're going to attack Megatron, which we see happen just as soon as uh, Vortex takes off, uh, takes dead end away and leaves Megatron alone. And we're, we have the vicious battle of the Predacons versus Megatron. And it's a drag-out tear-up battle. Uh, Megatron's holding his own, but there's five of them. They're tough, and they're just kind of tearing him apart. Uh, we go back to and then Megatron's at the same time is ranting the entire time that they were sent by Optimus Prime. Even though they're already on Deception, the Predacons say, no, nah, we're just doing this for kicks, and he just doesn't buy it. And uh, we'll cut back to uh, Shockwave. He says he's going, he'll uh, go investigate why Megatron hasn't radioed yet. And leaves Dead End and everyone else to their uh, setting up the thermosiline thing. So back to the battle. The Predacons, uh, you know, realize, uh, you know, Megatron's just still too powerful. He's Decepticon leader for a reason. And, you know, as much as they're messing him up, you know, he's going to eventually take him out. So, of course, they combine into Predaking and we get a continuation of the battle uh, now with a, uh, a much larger playing field for Megatron, trying to fight this uh, combining robot, which, boy, sure, they remember when the Constructicons felt special only, uh, you know, 12, 12 issues ago. But Megatron prevails in the battle, refusing help from even Shockwave, who shows up in some kind of weird, uh, I don't know, just trying to get, I guess, make Megatron, make, make Megatron trust him, I guess. And Megatron goes back to headquarters. Now he feels sure that Optimus Prime is dead. No one can withstand the might of Megatron. Look what he just did. Take out Predaking. He is still a mess, but he he is the conquering victor here. Uh, we get a, uh, a, a, a sound wave here. He's been playing both sides, I think, in most of these issues. I haven't really touched on that in the issues I've been re reviewing, but I always thought that was an interesting version. Uh, take on this character, uh, and he plays the uh, the sound clip of you know, Megatron or Shockwave giving the order to the Predacons to kill Megatron. And of course, uh, you know, Shockwave says, "Hey, I did just give him the orders. I put my personality components inside them. I was basically controlling the entire time." He's like, "Dude, why are you bragging about this?" Suddenly, there's a slow realization that. If Shockwave can do that, then possibly Optimus Prime could have had that done to him too, which of course we know with the heavy, heavy uh, uh, foreshadow we've been getting on that subject, we know is probably true, but it will be a while before we see the uh, ends of that. But uh, Megatron uh, snaps again, deciding Optimus Prime lives, but, Optimus, but he will never catch him. No, not going to catch the Midnight Rider. And he blows himself up and the space bridge. And we assume that is the end of Megatron. And Shockwave congratulates Shockwave, or Soundwave congratulates Shockwave on his plan. He says, you destroyed Megatron. He says, no, a memory did. And that wraps up a couple issues in a row of, uh, yeah, killing the two main leads in probably the stupidest ways possible. Say what you will about the movie. And I know it has its detractors, but... Primebot dies a noble death in battle, and Megatron is turned into a by a god into a new form. Way better than lost at a video, cheated at a video game, and felt bad about it, and 
went completely nuts so crazy and killed himself. Of course, we will not be the end of Optimus Prime or Megatron in these comics, but it will be a while before we see through these characters. It, they, th- th- this was definitely around the era where Budansky definitely seemed a little burnt out and was starting to, uh, the writing was really, really slipping. Um, even, you know, I was a kid and I loved everything Transformers. You know, some of these were just like, you know, I could kind of see through it. Like they were just trying to get the, the characters off to introduce new characters. Like I, I could, you know, I was old enough to realize what they were doing. And, you know, and I, I thought like, man, this is, th- these guys could have had better, you know, more noble deaths, I guess. Anyway, uh, yeah, definitely an issue I, uh, I remember a lot from a kid. And I, one I read over and over again. You know, I always loved the Battle of Megatron and the Predica- Predacons. always like to see a sign of, you know, just how friggin' strong Megatron is. And it was a nice little send-off for him, I think, despite, you know, the other uh, annoyances with the old madness issue, even though it's kind of addressed later, but getting ahead of myself. That's all I got. Back to you, Ant. And of course, you can catch Gabe on his YouTube channel at youtube.com slash recharge138. Now, uh, a couple of things I want to talk about from from this particular story. Uh, this is the probably most heavily edited of the books uh, we're going to talk about uh, today because of the UK version and, of course, of where the story is. Apparently, Megatron uh, does meet the Predacons in an earlier issue of the Marvel UK run, which we'll cover when we get to 1987. That storyline is called Prey, P-R-E-Y. And um, they also edited out uh, the references to uh, G.I. Joe and the Transformers, uh, which wasn't published in the UK until 1990. And we'll be covering that series in episode 82 of Transformers University. So next episode, G.I. Joe and the Transformers. A couple of things... I wanted to point out here, uh, Dragstrip is misdrawn as dead end. Uh, he's a yellow Porsche in one of the scenes when Megatron jumps into him. Uh, this is actually fixed in the UK version. He is colored and called dead end uh, in the word bubble. Uh, Gabe pointed out Shockwave flying on top of the hydro uh, hydrothermocline. I thought it was more interesting, not just that he was flying on it, but Shockwave was using his... Uh, boosters in his feet to fly instead of just flying in his space gun mode, which he had done in previous uh, issues. Also worth noting here, a lot of body horror in this uh, in this issue, aside from uh, Megatron crushing Brawl's head. I'm crushing your head. I'm crushing your head. He also had um, just the fight with the Megatron and the Predacons. A lot of... Uh, there's a lot of damage to Megatron. He gets basically half his face ripped off. He gets part of the side of his head ripped off. He gets gored on the side. It's pretty intense for a children's comic. Finally, one more interesting edit from the UK version. Uh, in the scene where Megatron blows up the truck that he thinks is Optimus Prime, the final line on that page uh, is dead end saying, but, but, Commander, he's already dead. Uh, as Megatron is talking about Optimus Prime in... The UK version, because this was the final page of the first half of the story. So the, the word bubble is edited to be from Megatron's point of view. So he says, he leads in the same way with, and if it had been, he'd be dead. And then the follow-up line, which now comes from Megatron inside of Dead End instead of Dead End himself. 
Megatron says, and death will come to Optimus Prime. That is the closer for the UK version. I think that's a kind of a neat send-off to lead you into another issue. And that will lead us into our next issue, issue 26, Funeral for a Friend. And this one was written by Bob Budiansky, pencils by Don Perlin, inks by Brett Breeding, uh, Brett Breeding, a longtime inker for Marvel and DC, worked on some really important comics, uh, particularly uh, the entire run of the uh, death of Superman, as well as the return of Superman story. He's also the inker on the original West Coast Avengers four-part miniseries and Spider-Man 252, the first regular issue to uh, have Spidey appear in his black costume. Letters in this issue by Janice Chang, colors by Nell Yamtov, edits by Don Daly, and U.S. cover, uh, also the cover for UK 109 by Herb Trimpey, and that features uh, the villain for this issue, the mechanic, uh, standing in front of uh, a number of Transformer bodies. Uh, UK issue 110, the second half of the story in the UK, uh, is The Ark Under Attack by Jeff Anderson. I'm taking it back. You watch. And here we open on Ratchet trying to repair Optimus. Uh, it says he has been working for 238 straight hours. Uh, that is just two hours short of 10 days, by the way. And uh, he has no luck as the Autobots look on. And uh, we get a roll call of the Autobots here. And in the UK version, because of a previous story, uh, Skids actually gets inked out of the UK version. So he's standing in the back in the US version and he is blacked out in the UK version because he is not at the Ark. After Ratchet fails to revive Prime Perceptor, Ratchet and Omega Supreme check on the base's security system. Ratchet, he's just ready to quit everything, really, and gets a pep talk from his fellow doctor, First Aid. The Autobots, they're off to perform the funeral for Optimus Prime, but Ratchet stays behind at the Ark. He laments all of the Autobots who are damaged and on life support at the life support capsules. He pulls Prowl out of one of the drawers. <laughs> it's kind of like a morgue, isn't it? And uh, decides he is going to raid a junkyard for parts. At the junkyard, something is going down, and Ratchet hides in vehicle mode. So in the junkyard, there are uh, three gentlemen, a guy by the name of Juan, his boss that we'll meet in a minute, named The Mechanic, and uh, they're trying to cut a deal with a guy named Mr. Farley. Hey, you remember when you were with the Beatles? And... You're supposed to be dead. Before I go any further, <laughs> uh, working off of that SNL clip, I just want you to know that uh, I had the chance to be on the set at Saturday Night Live uh, once for a press conference. It's kind of cool because I got to kind of walk around the set and tour it and walk backstage and, and kind of see how everything works. On one of the stages, there's a low entrance uh, and it has an, an on air light over the door. Um, it's probably, you have to duck to get under it. Uh, it's probably maybe, you know, five and a half feet, maybe maybe just under six feet, uh, this entranceway. And on the on-air sign, uh, scribbled in pen, is uh, the phrase, watch your head, Farley. And uh, I'll be sure to tweet that one out. Um, so it was kind of cool to see that little bit of history, a little bit behind the scenes. Uh, Chris Farley must have hit his head on that. A whole bunch of times and uh but he is not this farley this farley is a cop officer uh me off jack 
and he is ready to bust Juan and the mechanic, and they run and flee inside of this ambulance that was parked in the junkyard. Huh, go figure. So Ratchet realizes he really can't do anything but go along with what's going on, and uses some of the tools in the back of his ambulance mode to shake the cops, which the mechanic promptly steals. Elsewhere, the funeral for Optimus Prime is beginning. He is loaded into a beer. Um, I had to look up what that word meant. That is a movable frame, which a corpse or a coffin is carried. In this sense, it is a shuttlecraft. Meanwhile, Ratchet confronts uh, the mechanic and Juan, but the mechanic uses one of Ratchet's now stolen weapons to freeze him in place, and he concocts a plan. Back at the funeral, Perceptor eulogizes Optimus Prime, and then they launch his body into space. Sometime later, Ratchet thaws and heads back to the Ark. The mechanic and Juan, their plan was to trail him to find more weapons. The mechanic sneaks into the Ark and attacks Ratchet. Uh, he sees the Autobots returning from the funeral and turns on the defenses with this wrench that he finds. My favorite wrench. And it's not Sparkplug's wrench. It's some sort of special wrench that allows the mechanic to lift heavy objects. So the Autobots, they're getting slaughtered by their own base's defense system. And Ratchet flees into the base and ends up at the repair pods. He pulls Prowl out and repairs him quickly. And the mechanic shows up. And Prowl shows up in his vehicle mode, the police car, and flashes his lights. And because the mechanic is innately afraid of the police, he runs away. Ratchet thanks Prowl, but Prowl is still weak, and Prowl, Ratchet then goes and shuts off the defenses. While picking up the damaged Autobots, Ratchet realizes he is needed now to focus on the living and not the dead. The end. And that won't be the last we see of the mechanic. He will return later on, but not in the next issue. That takes us to Marvel US number 27, Marvel UK numbers 111 through 112, story entitled King of the Hill. This one written by Bob Udiansky, pencils by Don Perlin, inks by Aiken and Garvey, colors by Nell Yamtov, letters by Janice Chang, and edits by Don Daly. Cover, once again by Herb Trimpey of Trypticon, destroying a forest, fighting some Dinobots, and in the UK, issue 111 would feature art by Lee Sullivan with Grimlock asking for your vote. And they find tracks, not necessarily uh, the Corvette, but actual tracks in the ground. Uh, the professor points out the smooth edges to uh, the outside of the feet and says they are mechanically made and therefore a hoax until they see Swoop in the sky. We cut to Swoop stealing an oil tanker from a diner and then the uh, and then the Dinobots refueling and they begin a march towards the Ark. At the uh, Decepticon's new Florida home, Shockwave gets a call from his accountant. Ratbat. <laughs> yes, the Decepticon accountant. Um, Shockwave convinces him to open the space bridge one more time because Ratchet is not happy about how much energy the Decepticons on Earth are using. Back at the art, uh, the Autobot leadership uh, team, folks that do lead other teams, decide they need to pick a new leader, and Grimlock crashes this party. Uh, back in the woods, uh, one student named Rachel... Uh, sees the space bridge appear and Trypticon come through. Trypticon transforms into his battle station and sends uh, a little black scout car out of him named Wipeout. Now, Wipeout was not included with the original uh, Trypticon. That was a fast track, a purple car. 
we would actually get a toy of him in the early 2010s uh, based off of a wind charger mold. At the arc, Trypticon begins his attack with sonic scrambler mines that cause the Autobots to lose control of their ability to move. Then he starts to roll in. In the woods, the Dinobots were watching on, and uh, they are watching Trypticon just attack the Autobots and thinking that he will just soften them up for Grimlock to become the leader. Grimlock then notices Rachel in the woods and respects that she is not scared of him. But then Rachel gets caught by Wipeout a few minutes later, and at Trypticon, Wipeout returns with Rachel, and Trypticon threatens to eat her. And Grimlock, Grimlock doesn't like that. So Grimlock attacks Trypticon, the other Dinobots join in, and they drive uh, Trypticon away from his attack on the Ark. Then the Space Bridge reappears. Rapat radios in, saying Trypticon is over his fuel allotment, and he is ordered to return to Cybertron. That is right. The way we beat Trypticon is to make him run out of fuel and get called home by his mom. The rest of the Autobots, they're impressed with Grimlock. He showed all the right traits of a leader, from uh, compassion to uh, being a warrior to being decisive, and they name him the new leader. The end. That's right, folks. We end 1986 not with Rodimus Prime as the leader of the Autobots in Marvel Comics, but Grimlock. And Grimlock, as Autobot leader, is going to lead to all sorts of interesting storylines. I th really think this is where the comic does start to really branch off from the cartoon and really establish itself as its own thing. I mean, it's been its own thing on its own you know, since the start, but this is where the story is really taking an interesting take because we have no Optimus Prime. We have no season three characters. So we're getting a way for these other characters to have stories told as they work in the characters and toys from 1986 into the tales here in the Marvel comics. So lots more fun stuff to come as we get into 1987, but this will wrap up 1986 for the Marvel Comics run. And of course, that also means we are going to wrap up this episode of Transformers University. Now, one new fun thing to note, and if you're on our Patreon, you already know about it. We now have a voicemail line. So if you want to call in, you want to leave a comment, you want to leave a message for me at Transformers University or just about TFU.info in general, uh, you want something played on the show, you've got a feeling about uh, any of these particular comics or uh, anything we've talked about in previous episodes. The number to dial is 702-POD-4-TFU. So that is 702-POD, the number 4, TFU. And the numbers, that is 702-763-4838. 702-POD-4-TFU. Call up, leave me a message, and as long as it's not, you know, terribly offensive, I'll play it on the show. Now, there's plenty of other ways to get in touch with me and get in touch with the show. You know all of them if you're a regular listener, so I'll go through them quickly. Twitter, at TFU underscore info. Facebook.com slash TFU info. Instagram.com slash TFU info. The Patreon, Patreon.com slash TFU info. And, of course, the YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash TFU info. I'm working on some more great content. I'm also working on the updates to the website. The year 2002 has been moved into the new look, and I'm starting on 2003 already. I'm already one page into the 378, and hoping to have more done, preferably by the end of this week, now that we're in you know these shelter-in-place orders. 
also have some plans to appear on some other podcasts, so please keep an eye on the Twitter feed for that. Next time on the show, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be covering G.I. Joe and the Transformers, the limited series from Marvel from 1986 that was the first published Transformers crossover. And I'll talk a little bit about crossovers in general as well. So, until next time, I am Anthony Bercali, owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info. Stay home, stay safe, wash your hands. See ya.